Welcome to Closer to Venus, I'm Johnny Burke. Today's guests are Al and Jean Fike. Al is a trans medium, co-founder of the Divine Love Sanctuary Foundation with his wife Jean, and president of the First United Spiritualist Church in Burnaby, British Columbia. Today, we will be talking about his book, Our World in Transition, Messages from Jesus, his career as a medium, and errors in the Bible. Jean and Al, welcome to the show. Thank you, Johnny. Thanks, Great to Johnny. be here. You have a very, very interesting background. How did you two find yourself on this path? Oh, that's a long story. <laughs> we were both mentored by a couple of mediums, actually, when we were quite young, and they introduced us. It was uh, a plot, a conspiracy to bring us together, and we uh, fell in love. And that was 45 years ago. Okay. Al, how did you find out that you were a medium and had those gifts? I found out in my 50s, I'm now 68, that my spirit guys wanted me to become a channel for them to speak so that they could speak through me. And I kind of argued with them. I said that I didn't believe I was uh, that kind of medium, although I certainly had the ability to communicate with my angel friends and did so on a daily basis. But they said we should give it a try. And of course, I wanted to be in alignment with what their wishes were. And I said, yes, let's do it. The wonderful thing about our spirit guides is they never tell you what to do. They may invite, they may advise, they may encourage, but they aren't uh, insistent on anything. So it was my choice whether I want to become a medium or not. And I said, well, you know, it was another step on the road. Let's uh, give it a go. And and so we did. And, and here we are today. I've always found people that discover their intuitive gifts, mediumship, and so on. Many of them start out seeing spirits. I think you mentioned angel friends a couple minutes ago. When you were younger, did you have any kind of experiences with spirits or ghosts or anything from the unseen world? Any real experiences with spirits didn't come until I was late teens, early 20s. Although I did have a strong interest in things psychic, and I read every Edgar Cayce book and things like that, which stimulated my interest and I think also opened up a little bit to those abilities. But it took a while. I'm sure that Edgar Cayce inspired quite a few people, to say the least. I think he had about 14,000 readings and didn't seem to really be doing it for profit either, which is even more impressive. Now, Gene, can you tell us about the Divine Love Sanctuary Foundation, what your mission is, and some of your activities? Well, it was a gift. It was inspired. It was because someone we met from Australia came here, participated in a retreat that he found life-changing. He had such an awakening and so many experiences with spirit that he was just blown away. As a result, he gave us a very substantial gift to continue our work. Al was a gardener. I worked in nonprofits, so we just had a humble budget. This 
really launched us in ways that we could never imagine. And so that was in 2012. And since then, this friend has also co-founded two websites, and it's a labor of love. He publishes the messages that come through Al, and they go out to quite a network around the world. Locally, we have a small retreat center in our home, and we offer lots of opportunities for people to come and pray. And we also travel a lot. Els, as you mentioned, the president of a local spiritualist church, so we're really involved in a broad range of activities at the church. And then with COVID, everyone is on Zoom. We have tons of workshops and programs, and we're anxious to get back traveling again. Tell us a little bit about the Spiritualist Church, how it's different than the typical church that most people go to. Well, First United Spiritualist Church in Burnaby has been around for many years. Some of our cohorts from the past have been involved in that church. We actually didn't get involved until a neighbor of ours encouraged us to come. It took a couple of years for us to actually respond to that invitation, and it landed up that that neighbor had passed away a few weeks before we were to speak at the church. So it became a dedication to her. She was quite a valued member of that church and also a very good friend of ours. So the church itself is a church where many different philosophies come together. There are many mediums there, and it is a venue where mediums can demonstrate their work and help other people who often come to a service looking for some guidance or some connection with a loved one who's passed over. So they may give a message or see that loved one and convey something from them to the individual. Also, there are classes and opportunities to explore mediumship and psychic gifts. It is a community of people who are not going to church for what many other people go to the church for, which is dedicating themselves to the idea of Jesus and God and all of that. They're going to church to discover their gifts. Of course, God has of role to play in that. And there is prayer and whatnot. We do services on occasion and speak about the spiritual things with our services. There's a lot of healer development circles and opportunities for healing. All those services and programs have been inviting mediums from around the world. The spiritualist movement or the original medium explosion That's how it all started. I believe that was in upstate New York back in the 1800s. When people talk about spiritualist churches, it reminds me of a term I heard very recently where this man talked about Christianity and thinking that Christianity needs a reboot. Now, do you think the spiritualist church is sympathetic to what really needs to happen with Christianity, or is it just something completely divergent? I think it's both. I think there are aspects of spiritualism that are divergent and aspects that are in harmony with Christian or spiritual beliefs. I think the spiritualist movement is still finding its way because, as I was saying, it's such a diverse group of people with all kinds of different ideas as to how and what life is and how it's to be expressed in the earthly 
realms. But it does have that one crucial component, which is not really well understood or well looked into by a lot of religious organizations, and that is life after death and what that is. I think experiences like that, mediumship readings, near-death experiences, and basically the gamut of spiritually transformative experiences seem to show us more about what really happens when we die instead of relying on a text, which we all know has been edited quite a few times over the past 3,000 years. That is what I've been told over and over again from people that have had those kind of experiences. So the books on soul progression mention celestial spirits. Is that the same thing as a spirit guide and or a guardian angel? Because I think sometimes those entities get lumped into one category when they're not necessarily the same thing, right? Right. Well, the world of spirit is a very, very diverse place. Many different levels and gradients of consciousness exist in the spirit world. So to say that uh, one spirit guide is a celestial angel and another one is something else is a little vague. The spirit world is a very specific place. Our celestial guides come from what they call the celestial heavens. So it is a very high vibrational place. It isn't like a lot of the other spirit realms. I do have angels who are spirit guides, but not everybody has angels who are spirit guides. Some just have spirit guides, right? Some just have spirit guides, and it could be a whole variety. It depends on the law of attraction. So whatever condition you're in, whatever the state of your soul is, will draw in the sort of guide or helper that you need. Really? Yes. So that can go through the whole gambit of what's out there. And what you desire. Everyone is responsible for their own soul progression. It's determined by your desires and your free will and what you attract. Okay. So based on where we need to be in our soul progression, we will attract the right type of spirit guide that will help us. I think the way the universe is set up is that those in higher planes will help those in lower planes. And the earth plane is a pretty low plane. It's not that advanced. And there are many other experiences more advanced. You said it, not me. <laughs> and so therefore, we all get help one way or another. I think many people would be surprised how influenced everybody is on the earth plane, and not necessarily for the better. If their intention is to strive for something higher, to be basically a good person, they're going to draw to them because of the law of attraction, spirits that will help them attain that one way or another. And also spirits that kind of orchestrate different experiences for the individual so that they can grow. In order to get there. So yeah. if someone aspires to get to higher ground, which is the common man that doesn't really have the answers, goes to church, which is probably a good place to start. But as we all know, after a while, you basically run into a wall or a ceiling. That person says, okay, I want to find higher spiritual ground. I don't know how to get there. But just the intent, is that enough to attract the spirit guides, the angels, or whoever to help them get to that place? The best way to reach the highest is through prayer. We all start with the minds because this is where we are in this earth plane. But 
We want to get to our souls, to that core of ourselves, the eternal part of ourselves, to reach for the highest, because our belief is God is soul. There's messages and guidance coming down to people on earth all the time, but it's through sincere, deep, prayerful longing that you can reach for the highest. If you pray for the love of God to enter into your soul and that essence, that vibration of love to really become part of you, that's what helps us rise above the earth condition. And most importantly, it attracts the angels. So the spiritual thoughts, words, and deeds, if we're doing our best to be positive and prayerful, those are the spirits, the angels that will attract. Okay. So even for those people that don't typically go to church or even know how to pray, if they ask the universe for help, let's say someone wants to ask the universe for help, please keep my family and friends safe. Please let me get this job. Please let me be a better person. Is that enough, even if they don't go to church? Oh, absolutely. I think the real church is within our souls, not those buildings that befall the political um, machinations of the human will. They're internal, at least for us, a church without walls. Spirituality is about intention. So if you intend to progress, if you intend to change, to strive for something higher, and there's something in you, which we believe is your soul, it's kind of motivating you to to want to change, then yes, the universe will provide the opportunities to do so. It may not come instantaneously. It may take a while. A lot of that has to do with our own receptivity, how we're looking at the world and how receptive we are to the opportunities that we believe God puts before every soul every day to grow. We actually have an experiment, which is a simple invitation for people to try this prayer practice of praying for divine love. One of our major activities in Divine Love Sanctuary is the Zoom circles. So people come together from all over the world. There's been a really powerful network, and it wasn't Al and I going out and finding these people. It was the angels bringing them to us. And so we've got perhaps uh, about 200 people that are praying often online and offline. We've got a WhatsApp group. People post prayer requests and have conversations about the messages and about their spiritual struggles. One way to really, I think, get my juices flowing spiritually is what you mentioned, to pray for others. So you think of those people in your life that you really love or you have felt loved by and you can bring them into your presence just through your thoughts and your longings. I always find that a simple prayer of asking to be used as a channel really is powerful. I benefit more from being the person doing the praying than perhaps the recipient. Often the individual's experience with prayer comes in a crisis. Yeah. When you say, oh, God, help me, 
when there's nowhere else to go, that crying out of the soul to God. And often there is a response, sometimes immediately. Something miraculous happens. Often people will have that experience and then kind of go on with their daily life and not think so much about it. But it is to me a demonstration of that power of the soul to reach God. It's not done through words, really. It's done through the emotion, the longing, the essence of who we are making connection with the divine. And spirit amplifies, magnifies every positive effort. They are looking for every opportunity in the world to try to raise the conditions of this earth plane. So speaking of which, you mentioned a few minutes ago that a very powerful method of prayer is to ask to be used as a channel, to let them come through you. We're talking about divine things, divine beings, divine love sanctuary foundation. Al, you, you are primitive messages from Confucius, Augustine, Jesus, Yogananda, St. Francis of Assisi, just to name a few. What came first? Were there messages from Jesus that came first or did that come later? That came later, although I had an epiphany, an experience with Jesus when I was quite young that kind of set me on my course. It was a calling of sorts. Probably my guide, Andrew Augustine, we certainly had a lot of communication with him over the years. We would sit in circle in prayer, and there would be a medium present, and these celestial angels would come through the medium and speak to us. We would feel the energy change and shift. We would have that experience of them speaking to us personally and feeling the power of it. It's not just the famous names, of course. There are many other spirits that reside in the celestial heavens that have gone through the process of soul transformation through this gift, this blessing called divine love. The obvious question for those of us that are skeptic would ask, you've received messages from Jesus. How do you know it's really him communicating with you and not some kind of imposter spirit? If you're attuned to your own soul, your soul is a kind of radar. It can signal you about a truth. When you feel it in the depths of your soul, you know it's right. As one becomes more sensitive to one's soul through this prayer process called receiving divine love, then, of course, this radar, these spidey senses get more attuned, and the feelings that come with that, the experiences that come with that, resonate with God's soul and whatnot. So the first and foremost thing is you need to know that God exists. You need to know that God is real in in your consciousness. Once you're in that place, knowing God's divine love, this essence of God, God's soul, which flows into your soul through prayer, then the awakening begins and the perceptions come to you. So when a spirit like Jesus comes, since Jesus was a man, he's not God, comes to you, your consciousness fills with light and you feel such incredible peace and you feel his personality, his love, and his humility, and the grace that he brings. It's more powerful and more wonderful than anything else you've experienced in your life. One is to assume that it really is Jesus. Now, maybe it's not really Jesus. I can't give any definitive answer saying, 
This is definitely Jesus, other than my own experience. Through the many experiences I've had with celestial angels, indicates that this is the highest, most beautiful angel that I have ever encountered and probably ever will encounter. Unless you've had that experience, it's probably very hard to tell and obviously very difficult to describe, as are many of the spiritually transformative experiences. You've had a lot of experience with angels, ascended masters, a term I, that I hear more and more in these circles, Christ consciousness. What exactly is that? Is that the same thing that you've experienced, or is that something completely different? I couldn't. I'm sure people have their own understandings of what that means. But uh, for me, it just means what Al has described, what it is like to be in the blissful, harmonious presence of Jesus, there is no greater happiness or higher vibration. That's what I would call Christ consciousness. But for others, it may have many other meanings, an intellectual understanding of what the truths he did deliver so many years ago. But as, as you've already pointed out, his messages of truth have just been distorted and distorted, distorted. mangled, yeah, deleted. Yeah, a lot, a lot of destructive editing over the past three thousand years. I think most of us are aware of that by now. Speaking of messages, what are some of the most urgent messages from Jesus or some of the other angels that we need to know about? Well, their goal uh, with, with communicating with people on Earth is to inspire them to awaken their souls. In other words, let's bring it notches higher than where we're at now. Rather than materialism and the dry scientific approach to truth and reality, people need to take the risk of going within themselves and beyond all the clutter of the mind of our emotional repressions and whatnot and get into something that is higher and deeper and connecting with the divine. In that way, then we don't become a rudderless ship. We have got the opportunity for guidance and blessings and upliftment and awakenings that will help us to make choices in our life that are more in harmony with what life truly is meant to be and bring joy to our hearts rather than this low-level fear and anxiety that so many have in the world. And to be free of, of that encumbrance and be clear as to what our direction is and who we are, who we truly are. So that's certainly one of the messages. The other uh, major message that we've been getting a lot of late is that the world is undergoing a transition that we are going into an ascendancy mode that will change everything and that we need to prepare for this. And we can't prepare physically so much as we need to prepare spiritually for it. I've heard that many, many times about the ascension and it reminds me of a discussion I had with someone recently. I said, this is before my time, but do you remember a musical group called The Fifth Dimension? We were talking about ascension and going from third density or third dimension to the fifth and so on. Were these people onto something back in the 60s or did they just get lucky and say, hey, that's a cool name for a band, cool name for a group? <laughs> They probably dropped a lot of acid and had some <laughs> insights, maybe. Yeah, I think they were onto something. Probably so. Can we assume that these messages are free of the religious dogma? Well, I think that it's a matter of comparison. The number one 
quality is free will choice. So they never impose advice or pushing us to do something. It's always free will, even though we'll be praying for more specific guidance. They want us to get our own guidance. I really like this phrase, a church without walls. While we have that thought fresh in our minds, what are, in your opinion, some of the most glaring examples of errors in the Bible? Manipulation, distortion. Well, the Holy Trinity, Jesus is not God. He lived on earth. He had a a special mission, and he came in, he incarnated with a pure soul, and he had a job to do. It's not about Jesus being God. And he didn't die on the cross to save us from our sins. That work is up to each one of us to take responsibility, Mm -hmm. and uh, we do have the opportunity to take all our sins and errors, anything that is unloving, words, deeds, actions, conditions, we have the opportunity to take those to a higher power, to God, and to have that love flow into us and heal. So I think those are two very main things. And Well, I think the greatest error of all in the Bible is that God is vengeful, and punishing, and that God does not love unconditionally. Those, that's the greatest error of all. When I think of some of the churches that treat anyone who is not heterosexual differently, and in some cases almost like a second-class citizen, I think we all have to ask ourselves, would a loving God really do that? I don't think so, do you? I just think that's a heinous error. Well, I think the Bible is a projection of human condition written down in words. There's some truth in it, obviously, but you've got to dig pretty deep to find the truth. Even the truth of divine love is in the Bible, but it's obscured so much that it's hard to actually see it clearly. Because of all these projections and words and phrases and statements, etc., you can take anything you like out of there and make it a truth. It is so subject to interpretation that, in my mind, it's a bit of a useless book. There is love in there. There are truths in there. And many Christians, it's what they have, what they've been brought up with. I never like us to cast aspersions on any efforts that are made to love one another. Those truths are all in there. That's my perspective. I think Gene is trying to cover up the tracks here. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) One last question about the errors in the Bible. What about any mention of reincarnation being expunged from that text completely? Oh, Johnny, what a question. I believe the goal of reincarnation is to progress enough so that you don't need to come back. We believe that on the divine love path that you progress spiritually and soulfully through all the spiritual spheres that are around the world. So you progress according to the vibration of your soul and that it's not necessary to come back. Who would want to come back to this world if they had the choice? Seriously, do I want to come back and see people with anti-president stickers on their cars? And it's not a terrible world, but I'm sure there are other spheres, as you say, that are probably a lot more fun or a lot more of a gentler, kindler world. Harmonious, loving, full of light, um, 
Yeah, and there's no cars needed. <laughs> the flaw of reincarnation is the belief that the only possibility of spiritual growth happens on the earth plane. We have to have a physical body and a physical... There are many, many experiences in the spirit world that will bring to you many opportunities for growth. You don't need to come back in order to grow. It is a progressive system where you continue to climb that stairway of light and understanding and spiritual progression through these different experiences, through these different dimensions of existence. It's uh, eternal. Great explanation on spiritual progression. And it's a little bit different from what I've heard many times. But do you think that might be due to the fact that that soul, when they get into that space in between incarnations, they make a choice to come back here? I've been told that Earth is kind of a harsh place. A soul might have done that so many times. Let's say you two are on my Council of Elder board. And I say, well, Alan Jean, I've been to Earth 557 times. I really don't want to go back for another. <laughs> I've already taken that course. I don't think I really need that, do I? Does that make sense? Or is that completely out in left field? <laughs> oh, I love your um, examples. I Thanks. would really encourage you to read the messages we've been receiving from Yogananda. He came to the West and one of his main teachings was about reincarnation. Well, now we've been receiving for several years his messages about his journey through the different realms of spirit. So he's changed his views considerably from the teachings that he gave while on earth. You're talking about Yogananda, who is now in spirit. You were talking about channeled messages, not yes. the messages, okay, one of the reasons why the show exists is to get guidance on what do I need to learn? Well, learning is wonderful, but we never get into arguments about beliefs because these ideas about reincarnation or any dogma are beliefs of the mind and they're open to debate. We all have opinions and experiences and we project and make our own assumptions. But in the end, it's soul progression and becoming more loving and brighter. I think that's where a lot of us want to get to. Can we assume that exposure to the world of mediumship, the spirit world and beyond the veil, can that give us a more realistic picture of what really happens when we die and soul progression and the whole point of actually being here? Well, without their guidance and their instruction and their experiences shared with humanity, then we are kind of flying blind, aren't we? If you're willing to trust in what is coming through, and don't forget that every medium will color the picture. Depending on what's in their brain is what they can use to communicate. So you're going to get different perspectives for sure. But when you read a variety of perspectives, you kind of come to that middle ground. I would think unless you want to be willfully blind, it would be impossible to say, well, there is no life after death because it's happened for so many people. People have, have had NDEs and people like myself who communicate with spirit. Unless it's just a gigantic fabrication of our collective synapses, it's a, a big, big world out there that many of us don't know about. I could not agree more. Alan Jean, thanks so much for joining us today. 
amazing information. How can our listeners find out more about you and, and also the Divine Love Sanctuary Foundation? Thank you, Johnny. This has just been wonderful for us too. We have two websites, soultruth.ca and divinelovesanctuary.com. You've been listening to Closer to Venus. I'm Johnny Burke. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing. You can also leave us a review on iTunes if you like. For more info, please go to closertovenus.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.